You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ohio Huntsman Podcast. Today's episode, we're going to talk about some of the, the latest anti-gun legislation that's been introduced into the House and has actually made it past the House and into the Senate. So before we get into that, though, I want to talk about our sponsor, Monster Whitetail Grub. So Monster Whitetail Grub is a, is a deer feed company, and they're an Ohio deer feed company. So they try to source everything from Ohio, which I really like, helps support the local economy here in Ohio, and not only that, but it's a really great product. So they've got deer feed, they've got mineral, which I know a lot of guys like to run straight mineral in the springtime. So as we're getting into antler growth season, fawn development, milk production for the does, mineral is a good thing to have out for the deer. So check them out. Go to ohiohuntsman.com sponsors. You can get in touch with them. You can order direct from them, or I know they're getting into more and more retail locations, so maybe there's a retail location near you where you can stop in and just pick some up. With that, let's get into our conversation. Welcome to the Ohio Huntsman Podcast, where three brothers, Jason, Jacob, and Jeff, discuss all things hunting in Ohio. Our goal is to be your source for accurate and reliable hunting news and conservation issues in the great state of Ohio, as well as some fun and interesting conversations along the way. This is the Ohio Huntsman Podcast. Are you listening? All right, so today we're talking about the Second Amendment, I guess, and everybody's favorite subject, politics, or, or their, you know, maybe least favorite subject, you know, uh, legislation, gun legislation. So if you aren't aware, there are, there have been two bills introduced at the time of this recording. So this is March 13th. You guys will hear this much later than March 13th. So, you know, check, uh, check the internet for up-to-date information. But right now there's, there's two bills that have been introduced, H.R. 8 and H.R. 1446, that deal with different areas of gun purchases, background checks, that sort of thing. So we thought we would talk about it today since people who hunt typically own firearms and thought it would be a relative or a relevant, not relative, relevant conversation since most of us are probably gun owners and this will or could have the potential to impact us. So HR eight, I guess if you guys are good, we could start with HR eight. HR eight is called, let me see the, they're calling it the bipartisan background checks act of 2021. So at this point it has been passed through the house and 
is going into the Senate. Like I said, this is March 13th, but th- th- things may have maybe in a different place when you guys hear this. But basically what HR8, in, in a summary, in a nutshell, what, what HR8 is proposing to do is require a background check for any and all firearms transfers. So right now you go to the store to buy a gun and they do a background check. You buy a gun online. It has to be delivered to an FFL where a background check can be run. This is attempting to require, uh, attempting to require you to obtain a background check for any private sale, any, um, if you were to loan a gun to somebody and they would be out of your, you know, out of your immediate, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Immediate vicinity, immediate, uh, I don't know. If you're, if you're looking to loan a gun to somebody. Yeah. The way I understood it is if you loan a gun to someone and they are out of your control, which basically means out of your sight, out of verbal and visual contact. Right. Then you need, they need to have a background check. Yeah. Which like means that your friend can't borrow your gun to go hunting like for a day. Well, see that I'm not sure. I'm not sure that's true because there's a section in here. Uh, firearm. So this is, I'm on eight, I'm on congress.gov looking at HR eight and there is an exemption in here for, you can do temporary transfer if the transfer has no reason to believe that the transferee, aka the person you're loaning the gun to, would use the in, would or intends to use the firearm in a crime or is prohibited from possessing firearms. And so the exemptions are in a shooting range or in a shooting gallery designated for the purpose of target shooting while reasonably necessary for the purposes of hunting, trapping, pest control on a farm or ranch, or fishing, if the transfer has no reason to believe the transferee intends to use the firearm in a place where it's illegal, or <clears throat> has no reason to believe the transferee, or has reason to believe that the transferee will comply with all licensing and permit requirements for such hunting, trapping, pest control on a farm or ranch, or fishing, or while in the presence of the transfer. So it seems, it, according to the text right. on Congress.gov, it gives an exemption for hunting. The the gray part is right. while reasonably necessary. Uh huh. So uh, you know, I don't know. It 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 certainly opens up people loaning a gun to a buddy for hunting to committing a crime, sort of unknowingly, because of well, what is while reasonably necessary. Right. Also, what, how do I reasonably assume that they're not, you know, if I have a friend, I would reasonably assume that they're not going to commit a crime with my firearm. Right. Like I, I wouldn't keep company that I, you know, so it's like, what exactly is the, the burden of proof there? Right. Unfortunately, I think it's going to, it would fall on 
guilty until proven innocent, though, in the sense of if you loan your gun to someone to hunt and they do commit a crime with it, you're going to have to prove, unfortunately, I think, that why you lent them that gun and what your justification was that they were not going to commit a crime versus them having to prove that you knew they were going to commit a crime. Right. That's how it's going to be used. Unfortunately, I would would agree, agree that that that's the way that it's being written is yes, that you are. That's guilty until proven. in. in I think they're trying to find more people to blame for whatever the case may be school shootings, you know, as serious or as minor offenses as you want to go all the way up to, you know, mass shootings. They, you can't just, because anymore it's been that person, whatever, took their parents' gun or that person borrowed a friend's gun or, and then no one's accountable for that gun. And that's what they're, they're, they're going to hold someone accountable for it. And it's going to be whoever's legally the owner of that gun. Right. I think is what their intent as what they're going to that's what their goal is with that part. <laughs> well, and the so the the interesting thing is <clears throat> a lot of those scenarios that you just line uh, uh outlined also wouldn't be prevented by this because there's exemptions for transfer or exchange between family members. Right. Now, it doesn't say, you know, if they if somebody unknowingly takes your, you know, like a kid takes a parent's gun, you know, it doesn't say that. But um, it says it shall not apply to a transfer or exchange that is a loan or bona fide gift between spouses. So husband, wife, husband, well, domestic partners, uh, parents and their children including step-parents and stepchildren between siblings. So you and I could transfer exchange guns between aunts or uncles and their nieces and nephews or between grandparents and their grandchildren. Again, if the transfer has no reason to believe that the transferee will use or intends to use the firearm in a crime or is prohibited from possessing firearms under state or federal law. So, I, it seems like the only thing, well, other than potentially getting law-abiding citizens hung up in a technicality, it seems like the only thing that this is going to stop is private party sales to a non-family member, or I guess selling to a family because this this says transfer or exchange that is a loan or bona fide gift so if i wanted to sell you a gun sell a family member a gun we would have to go and have a background check before i could sell you a gun i could give it to you i could loan it to you but i can't sell it to you and the thing that i that i did read was um the transfer exchange Oh, they do say for purposes of this subsection means an in-kind transfer of a firearm of the same type or value. So if if you loaned me a gun, or let me think that through for a second. So if we exchanged something, 
you gave me something of value in exchange for a firearm and we're sort of giving these to each other, I still think that requires a background check because it's not, I don't think that would be considered an in-kind transfer of a firearm of the same type or value. Like a washing machine for a, you know, right. a, a handgun or something like that, right? Yeah, I think that would still require. Right. And I'm, the way I interpret that, it, even a handgun for a rifle would require a background check. I think you're right. So, yeah. I mean, I don't know how many people are out there just, you know, I, I think Swapping that, that's right. I think the only, I mean, there, there are people who, you know, trade guns, but I think that that's basically in there to close a loophole in their law that they feel is closing a loophole. That makes right. sense. Right. Yeah. I mean, because I'm sure that happens, right? You know, buddies, you know, one guy has a gun that the other guy really likes, but the, you know, the current owner is sort of meh about it, but he's got, you know, his buddy's got a gun that he really likes, you know, and so like, hey, man, I'll trade you this, this, uh, whatever, this shotgun for that pistol. I mean, I know you like this thing, you know, I'm sure that happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, dad has told stories where in his younger days when he was, you know, working and it was like, I don't have any money, but I got this shotgun. So it's like, I can loan you this and then we'll swap it back once I pay you back. And, you know, that kind of, I, I don't know if right. it still happens, but I know it used to happen. <laughs> yeah. Right. Where it yeah, was I like, think, hey, I'll I give you 500 dad... bucks, but you're going to give me that shotgun. And then once you pay me back, I'll give it back to you. <laughs> Yeah, I think Dad got a considerable number of his guns on uh, loan. You know, he loaned someone money and they never paid him back. He took them as collateral <laughs> and they never paid him back. Whatever it takes. <clears throat> so the other area where this would hang people up is, say you were going to be, you're in the military or something and you're going to be overseas and you want, Instead of, you know, your gun sitting in an empty house, you want to, you know, whatever your, your, your buddy, Hey, can I store these things at your house so that they're not, you know, they don't get stolen at my house or whatever. That would be another area where it could trip people up or, you know, there's some sort of, uh, whatever you're going to be traveling. There's some sort of, you know, we've had these situations with, um, you know, natural disasters. And so you pack up all your guns and, Hey, while well, I'm temporarily living in a motel because our whole city's flooded or whatever, can I store your guns with you? That requires background checks on all of that. <clears throat> right. And fees paid on background checks for all of that. Right. Right. Or even, I mean, real world for a situation for me. I mean, my, we're building a new house. We're, selling our old house so in the process if we sell our old house before the new one's ready and there's a whatever it happens all the time there's a month or two where you gotta live at your in-laws or whatever it is right all my guns now are technically in the possession of my father-in-law and i by the letter of the law i have to transfer every one of them 
to him and pay fees and taxes on every one of those transfers. Right. And then do it the same thing to give them back to me. Yeah. So that's HR eight. Like I said, it's already passed the house and is going into the Senate. So I know Jeff, you had talked about, is this a good time to talk about who has voted for this or who is sort of sponsoring this? Or do you want to talk about HR 1446 first? Um, let's just go in the HR 1446 because, uh, they, all the vote, you know, if you voted yes on one, you voted yes on the other. Okay. So, okay. So, H.R. 1446 is, they're calling it the Enhanced Background Checks Act of 2021. And, wow, they're very similar. Bipartisan Background Checks Act of 2021 is H.R. 8. Enhanced Background Checks Act of 2021 is H.R. 1446. And 1446 has to do with the background check process. So so normally right now when you go buy a firearm, they do a background check. Most times my understanding is there's you can get one of three responses. There's a, you know, go ahead, clear, sell the firearm. There's a denied, meaning, you know, this person is prohibited, you can't sell them the gun, or there's a delay where they need more time to figure out if if you're okay to own the firearm. So what they're proposing to do is extend the amount of time, sort of high level, extend the amount of time that, that the government, the, the, I guess the FBI can take to, to do finish that part of the delayed background check. Again, meaning they need more time to figure out if you're not a prohibited person, basically. So it says in the summary here, specifically, it increases the amount of time from three business days to a minimum of 10 business days that a federal firearms licensee must wait to receive a completed background check prior to transferring a firearm to an unlicensed person. Um, This type of transaction is often referred to as a as a default proceed transaction. So I think today the way it works is after three days, if you, if the gun store owner or the FFL hasn't heard back from the FBI, they're, they're technically allowed to transfer the item. But I think it puts a little bit of onus on the FFL or the, the gun store owner because my understanding is, and I don't, you guys check me on this if you've heard otherwise, but if after the three-day uh, wait period, it comes back as prohibited, now the gun store owner has to try to track that person down and get the firearm back, reverse the sale because they're a prohibited person and they knowingly just sold a firearm to a prohibited person. And so it's... I think it's sort of a de facto uh, way to de- <clears throat> excuse me way to delay a firearms purchase because the gun store owner doesn't want to take on that responsibility, 
And so they're just going to wait and wait and wait until they hear back. And otherwise they could be, you know, held accountable for selling a gun to a prohibited person because it took longer than three days. So now they're extending that to 10 days. Right. So my question is, and I already know the answer. This is more of a rhetorical question. I'm sure I know the answer, but at what point is the government required to give you an answer? Like they're extending the wait period. The government has a minimum of 10 days. What's their maximum? Because they could just (laughs) technically never respond. Yeah. And now they, anyone who's on the, we're not sure list now becomes prohibited because no gun owner. I mean, well, I couldn't say no, but 99% of guns, I'm sorry, not gun owners, um, gun store owners or FFL dealers are going to sell you that gun without a response. Yes or no, because like you said, it puts the responsibility on them. So if they want to keep their FFL, they can't sell you that gun until they have a yes or no. And if the government never responds or takes as they have been doing with, and granted we've been in a pandemic, but with everything, I don't know if anyone's tried to contact the IRS about anything lately, but it's like a six to nine month response time. Um, it's just I, at some point, like what, how much is too much, I guess. Right. That's the concern that I've heard with this one is it slows, it slows things down, has the potential to, you know, like you said, sort of, uh, de facto gun ban in that we're just never going to approve the, the background check. Right. And so there's, you know, I mean, there's real situations where people have died from, you know, other states that require a wait period to buy a gun. Um, you know, they're, they're looking to buy a gun because their ex-boyfriend or whatever has threatened to kill them. They want to, they go, want to go buy a gun to protect themselves, wait period. And in the meantime, the ex-boyfriend kills them. I mean, that's happened. Right. Uh, this makes that type of scenario worse. I mean, I don't know how often that type of scenario is happening, but this certainly makes that type of situation worse. I think, you know, where I stand on this is I'd almost rather pay more taxes to hire more FBI personnel to complete the background checks thoroughly in a timely manner than, I mean, because this just seems like, well... We've got 10 days. We don't need as many people because then after that, there's there's language in here about um, after the time has elapsed since the initial contact or hang on a second. This, let me start over. Uh, since the license, since the licensee initial contact of the system about the firearms transaction, the system notifies the licensee that the receipt of the firearm by such other person would not violate. Boy, this one is, I'm having a hard time understanding this one. But there's, I guess, short story is, there's things in here. It says, an additional 25 calendar days after the licensee receives a notification or 30 calendar days after the date of the initial contact. So 
there's more extension after the 10 days have elapsed. To Jake, to your point, this goes, you know, goes on and on. Things stretch out farther and farther. Right. I would almost rather. Right. Let's just hire more folks to do it in. I mean, we've already got a wait period. Let's just hire folks to get the checks done in the wait period that we've already that we already have. Right. 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 Well, and, and I'm, I mean, by no means am I or are we, I guess I'll speak on behalf of everyone saying that we're anti background check or we want to, you know, push things through without background checks or before the background checks are completed necessarily, as long as they're completed in a timely manner. At some point, it flirts with, like you said, Jason, that line of a de facto gun ban. You're banning people from purchasing firearms because you're intentionally not responding to their background check, which is required for them to own the firearm. Right. Right. And the other sort of problem here with this one is it's trying to fix a, a, this won't fix the problem that they think it's going to fix. Like they, they, they do not understand the problem that they're trying to fix. Um, the reason that most uh, people who are under suspension get firearms, like get issued the ability to purchase a firearm, is because of lack of reporting to the FBI. The local and state governments aren't reporting the crimes to the FBI database. So you you can have as much time as you want. You're still never going to catch those. Right. Because you, that that would be the problem that you would want to fix. You know, and so this fixes this doesn't fix a problem, really. The the problem is a reporting issue. Yeah. And Which, the problem is a reporting whole, issue is a funding issue. Right. Like in a whole, but on the same coin though, like we're, we're in the 21st century here. What do you mean? We don't have an effective way to report crime to a database. Like that just, right. I can only get behind the funding issue for so long because we fund a lot of things that are far less important than as a country than reporting crime to a database that prohibits or regulates who owns firearms right yeah. i think i mean because at some point it has to go from like a, a paper document that then gets inputted into a system or maybe it's in a local jurisdiction's electronic system and it just hasn't been you know those systems aren't linked or in this right. is, these are just my assumptions i don't know this for a fact but it's in a local jurisdiction's system and they've got lots of things to do take care of they haven't gone through and uploaded their whatever you know whatever it is that they upload to this national federal system that you know is then accessible by the nix system i i don't know but i could see i mean because that's that's uh wasn't that what happened on there was a shooting on an Air Force base or something, a military guy, right? He was prohibited from 
owning a back or owning a firearm, but it wasn't in the system. Do you guys remember that? Uh, I'm not familiar with that one, but I know the, uh, oh, what was it? The, the church shooting, that guy was prohibited from owning and he, he, he did obtain a firearm in this exact way. He was prohibited, but they, they delayed it the three days and he, they still didn't respond. So then the sale went through and he purchased his firearm. And then, you know, I don't know, weeks later it came through as he was denied, but the gun was already sold. Okay. One thing I can say is also the information that is being reported to the system isn't always accurate. And sometimes it's inaccurate in the individuals, you know, you know, negative saying that someone who is legally allowed to purchase a firearm isn't. And to fix that is a real process. Like it is, it is no easy task. Yeah. So that's also a a problem, you know, because you are falsely denying someone of a constitutional right. So right. Yeah. basically, I mean, I, I think our current system's pretty screwed up in that way. Like it, it, if you are legally allowed to possess the firearm and the system has it wrong, like that, that is on the government to, you know, it should be easy for you to fix it because, you know, the, the government is denying you a right unjustly. Yeah. And if, if anything, if it's not easy, I mean, it should, the government should be responsible for that. Like they, basically should be uh, penalized for the civil rights violation. So uh, that's another issue in this is I don't think we have a perfect system right now by any means. No. Um, Is this going to fix anything? No. Is this going to harm things? Most likely. Yeah. I want to pause here briefly to talk about our sponsor, Mastin's Deer Sense. So Mastin's is not only a deer scent company, but they're also getting into predator scents. So deer sense, great tool to use in the fall. It's also a good tool to use in the spring or summer for pictures, getting trail camera pictures. Having some scent out in front of your camera, deer are naturally curious, they're going to come by, check that scent, and... You can get pictures, see when fawns drop, see how antler growth is progressing. So good tool to have in your toolbox. And Mastin's makes a good product. So if you're interested in trying some of that out, like I said, not only deer sense, but also predator sense, go to mastinsdeersense.com. Check them out. They have great prices. You order right from their website and they ship it right to your house. So with that... Let's get back into the conversation. I uh, want to circle back. I fact-checked myself. And Jeff, you and I are talking about the same shooting. It was an 
it wasn't on an Air Force base. It was an Air Force veteran that carried out the shooting at a Texas church. Okay. And it was the Air Force, says this news article, violations of Air Force policy allowed a mass shooter to legally purchase the weapons he used to conduct a church massacre last year. The Air Force should have, the Air Force veteran should have been prevented from buying weapons due to a domestic violence court-martial conviction he received while serving, but military personnel reportedly failed to follow protocol. The Air Force did not send the final disposition report on Kelly's conduct to the FBI as required, which would have placed him on a, in a federal database. The veteran was therefore allowed to clear FBI background checks and legally purchase weapons on multiple occasions when he should have been prohibited from doing so. So, I just had my, mm-hmm. my, my memory wrong. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so I guess that's uh, a summary wanna, of H.R. 8 and 1446. What's that? Yeah, I guess before we get into, Jeff, you were planning on probably getting into the right. sponsors and who. Before we get into that, I guess another thing to bring up without reading between the lines too much um, in regards more to H.R. 8 and the transfers of firearms um, as we get into, you know, who sponsors these bills and who you should contact regarding them. Um, I, and this is Jacob's personal opinion, but I do also think we need to start thinking on the token of like, this is really starting to go down the path of national gun registry. Yeah. And them wanting to know, and by them, I mean the government wanting to know who owns what firearms and what they're going to do with that information is up to you to pontificate on. Mm-hmm. But I think we're looking at taxes on owning firearms. You could be taxed to own a firearm. You could be, you know, if and when there's ever a time that this country decides to abolish the Second Amendment, they now know who has every firearm and where to go get that firearm. Yeah, and I so I don't I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know the specifics of this, but that's one of the arguments against this that I've heard in that the FBI is has already or the ATF has already sort of overstepped their boundaries in some cases where they have confiscated background check records from a firearms dealer, meaning they now have a because my understanding is they're they're not supposed to do that or they're not allowed to do that or something. And right. All they are allowed to do is know that you are making a request. That's that's the end of the information that you are right. making a request. Um, I do think they get the information if it's a handgun or a long gun. OK, but that's it. That's all they are supposed to have access to um, so so i have heard that there's examples where they've come in like i don't know a gun store is going out of business or something and they come in and make copies of all those sale transactions or they take you know they take all those records and now they've basically got a list of who bought what so if you increase the amount of background check requirements then you know to your point jake 
that, you know, just enhances their ability to do that. Right. I can also, though, on this topic, go down the, the rabbit hole of like, do they really need to do that? And where I'm going with this is the data and information that can and is be is being collected on all of us online. Like it feels like the government could could subpoena Google, Facebook, you know, because your your actions, the algorithms. I'm pretty sure they could make a pretty pretty accurate profile of who potentially owns firearms based on your online activity what websites you go to what youtube videos do you watch what uh you know what yeah, stores do true. you shop you know do you shop at cabela's do you shop at bass pro like all right granted that some of those people are probably they just fish and they don't own a firearm but you know that combined with other you know what pages do you follow on facebook like it feels like they could get a pretty accurate list of people or IP addresses that there's probably a firearm at this location. Yeah, I would go further than that. They probably can get a pretty accurate list of what specific firearms are at that location. You know, because if you look at parts for a gun, if you, you know, purchase or even look at ammo prices you know i mean so they might not necessarily know you know the the make or the model but they know you got a 30-06 right you know and then yeah if you you look at parts then they may know exactly the make and model right you know they, they may know a lot of information um but yeah, and kind of to circle back also is this is just a you know HR eight is just another example of the government trying to basically police what people do in their bedroom, if you will. Like right. it's policing uh, everyday activities. You know, nothing else that I personal items of mine that I sell. Do I have basically any duty to, you know, any duty of care, basically? You know, I can sell a car and that other person can be completely unlicensed. Right. And that's that's not on me. Yeah. You know, I I can. Right. Or kind I, of to follow the same vein, you could sell a car to an alcoholic who drunk drives drunk and kills somebody and none of that's ever going to come back to you. You just sold them a car. Right. Right. And no one, no one would even accuse me. You know what I mean? Like no one would even think that I did something wrong. Right. You know, I just sold that guy an old pickup truck. I don't, I know he drank beer, but what do I care? (laughs) Right. Yeah. And I mean, if, yeah, if you're going to, make people go through these hoops to sell a personal item of theirs. Why, why don't we do it with everything? You know, why, why shouldn't I have to make sure that you have a driver's license and insurance, insurance, 
all of that. And I mean, not only just for vehicles, but, you know, if I anything that you could potentially harm yourself or someone else with, you know, I want to sell you a, a kayak. Well, do you have a life vest? Right. You know, it's when you think about it, it's really silly. Yeah. And none of that other stuff is mentioned in the Constitution. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I know a lot of, uh, like, the right-leaning gun channels or the right-leaning media want to make the left out to be, like, a bunch of Looney Tunes that, you know, and, and maybe they are. I'd I'd like to think that they, some of them at least, think that that like they think that this is going to help. Like they're, uh, I mean, I can't imagine they're all like just totally off their rockers. Maybe they are. I don't know. But I'd I'd. I want to think that that some of them think this is going to help. Like they have good intentions. Right. But when you really start to look into it, I just don't. I mean, Jeff, to your point, it doesn't seem like it's going to fix the problems that they're trying to fix. Criminals are going to be criminals and get guns outside of the background check system like they're already doing. Yes, right. we you know, we've talked about some examples here where you know, had the, had the systems that are already in place been followed, it would have prevented, you know, they would have been prevented from buying a firearm through a background check, but implementing these changes wouldn't have prevented those transactions that they're attempting to prevent. Right. Right. No matter how long you waited on that church shooting no matter how long you waited the information wasn't in the system so it was never going to come back right Whether a lot of three these days things, 10 days three months it's not there <laughs> yeah a lot of these things the, you know any of this new gun legislation you know hr 8 hr 1446 or any other thing that's been there recently i mean you can look at a lot of this stuff and it's like the things you're you're proposing aren't going to fix the things you're you're touting that it's going to fix like it's it's just not you can look back at the previous mass you know everybody wants to look at mass shootings which you know that's a whole other thing like they don't account for the majority of gun deaths but they're they are tragic and and terrible and and they evoke a lot of emotion and so people you know they want to talk about that and look at that but um you know, it, it's it wouldn't have prevented those things in in a lot of cases, and so it's. I'd like to think that they're they're trying to do good, at least some of them. But I just I don't. From where I sit, I don't I don't see it. Yeah, this is very reminiscent of the war on drugs. You know mm. what what is going on right now is very reminiscent of the war on drugs which we basically all know now completely failed and was 
terrible, basically. All it did was cause the government a lot of money and not really prevent the drugs. Right. Um, and it's that our politicians make feel-good legislation. It On the surface, it looks good. It seems like, oh, yeah, this will work. But right. once you scratch, you know, once you go deeper or talk to anyone who has really knowledge of the subject, they will tell you, no, this isn't going to work, and it's probably just going to make things worse. Right, for law-abiding you know, I mean, citizens. Right, because what this basically does is make law-abiding citizens criminals, which is also basically what the war on drugs did, was make just make more criminals. Right. You right. Know, it, it just put more people behind bars, people that otherwise were fairly law-abiding. Yeah. Right. And if you want to get into the sociology of that, you know, it put, you know, generally or very minor criminals behind bars, which created bigger issues in the sense of now there's kids being raised without their parents, which create more criminals because they don't have role models. And it just snowballed into making more criminals, more people behind bars, overwhelming our prison systems, which tax the system which allowed real hard criminals to not get caught or not get in trouble so right. it's just it yeah it's just it not like systemic problems right it becomes yeah systemic issues um and i think i mean as easy and silly as it sounds i feel like the part that continues to get missed on all of this is criminals by definition don't follow the law Right. So creating laws does not stop criminals. They're not following the laws. Yeah. So uh, all creating laws does is hurt people who follow the laws, people like you and I, people like our listeners who follow the laws or do their best to follow the laws and live in a society with laws. You know, the people that yeah commit these crimes, they by definition, are criminals and don't follow the laws. That's <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, Chicago uh, has some of the strictest. Chicago and Illinois have some of the strictest gun laws. And the fact of the matter is, Chicago is a war zone. Yeah. It it literally is a war zone. I mean, <laughs> there are multiple what what are now being classified as mass shootings. Uh, a day there you know if you because because of the mass shooting culture now you know there's mass shooting trackers well if you exclude chicago or illinois um you're taking a third of those mass shootings off that calculator wow you know yeah it's and i mean that's also a reporting thing i mean like chicago wants to report those as mass shootings they want that calculator to go up um but yeah it's there is a lot of shootings going on in chicago so those those criminals are getting guns somehow still even though they have such strict gun laws it's funny you mentioned chicago i i don't know you guys know uh 
Colian Noir. You know who he is? I don't think so. No. He's a he he's a lawyer. He used to work for the NRA. And now I think he just does his own thing. But he's a he's a two A advocate. He's I don't know that he's a practicing lawyer, but he's a degreed lawyer. And um he's a black guy. Pro pro gun, pro two A. Has a pretty big YouTube channel, you know, for those of you that that don't know him, might you know, he's a pretty good place to get information on the current sort of uh gun laws. Anytime a shooting happens, you know, he he's talking about it. But anywho, he posted on his Facebook page uh this image basically saying what uh, you were just saying, Jeff, it's, you know, it's a, one of those, what I said, what they said type of, you know, how people post a conversation like me, I said this, they, you know, so it says, uh, he says Chicago has strict gun control, but high gun when, and I don't know that he said this, this is an image that he posted. Maybe it is, maybe it is something he said. I don't know, but Chicago has strict gun control, but high gun violence. They say they get guns from states with loose gun control. He says, but those states don't have the same gun violence. They say places in Chicago are poor and neglected, so there's more violence. He says, bingo. It's a socioeconomic issue, not a gun issue. Right. 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 I just thought that was interesting that. uh, Yeah. I had just saw that on his, you know, online and then you were, you had brought that up. So, but yeah. Yeah. uh, I just looked this guy up and I, I had no idea I, that he was, cause I looked him up now. I had no idea that he was a lawyer. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I, and I, I guess I didn't know his name either. I just knew, you know, I had seen his stuff before. Okay. Do we want to jump in on who voted, who you need to write, reach out to? Yes. All right. So, uh, unfortunately, this uh, went directly down party lines. Um, All the Republicans voted against it, except for, uh, let's see. Troy Balderson, um, he did not vote. Uh, I'm assuming he wasn't there that day. Um, but you might, if, uh, if he's your representative, uh, district 12, uh, you might want to reach out to him and ask, (laughs) you know, why he wasn't there doing his job that day. (laughs) Um, so, uh, then, District three, uh, which is, uh, let's see here. And I'm going to probably butcher these names, uh, is Joyce Betty. Um, she's in the Columbus area. So if you, uh, are a voter in the Columbus area, you might want to look to see if she's your representative. Um, district nine, which is, uh, the coastal Lake Erie coastal area. Um, basically her district follows, uh, basically the, the entire Lake Erie coast from Cleveland to, uh, to Michigan. 
and then Jacob, this is the one that matters to you. Uh, Tim Ryan, 13, uh, he voted for this. So that's your representative. Have you already wrote him a letter? I have a, I do have one written. Okay. I just was, so yeah, I have one written. I just haven't sent it yet. I was trying to change some of my wording. Uh Um, well, and because the other, uh, Democrat, uh, that, uh, representative that Ohio has, um, didn't actually vote because the day before the vote, she was, uh, may put in charge of the uh urban housing and development so she resigned um but district 12 um you guys are going to have a special election coming up um it hopefully you guys can find someone who's more pro second amendment um you know and i this isn't a party thing uh you know democrat or republican um Find someone that supports your rights, you know, because that is a very strong, that is a democratic stronghold. But just because you're a Democrat does not mean that you have to fall along party lines. Yeah. Um, But let's talk about Tim Ryan, Jacob. Uh, (laughs) Unfortunately, it's not just Jacob's not the only one that needs to uh, be writing him a letter because he is not running for re-election to the house. He is running to become a state Senator. Mm. So everyone needs to write him a letter and uh, notify him that uh, we're unhappy with his decision and uh, if uh, when he comes up for his primary, if he's running opposed, uh, hopefully he's running against someone who's pro Second Amendment and uh, he can not even win his primary. Yeah. Um, and the, I'm pretty it's pretty clear why he uh, is not running for reelection. Um, and that's because. Ohio is going to be redistricted in the near future. Um, And his party does not hold the power to draw those redistricted lines. And he has the least control over his district in the first place. Um, The the Democrats um, all win by landslides in their districts, except for him. He barely wins so he's most likely going to be the one redistricted out um you know he or at least it would be very hard for him to because ohio's going to lose a district plus the lines will be redrawn okay so it would be very hard for him to hold a seat so he needs to find a new job right but yeah, so uh, Tim Ryan is uh, who everyone needs to be reaching out to. Um, and I also would suggest that you reach out to uh, your senators uh, because that's where these bills are going to go now, is to the Senate. Um, they're very unlikely to pass the Senate um, because of 
uh, basically filibustering. Um, so they're they're not likely, but uh, it is possible. So you should reach out to our two state senators and uh, also reach out to Tim Ryan and let him know that you're disappointed in his decisions. Jeff, can I don't know if you're prepared for this, but can you give us a little civics, social studies, civics lesson on filibustering? Like what, how does that work? Uh, it can't get I mean, to a vote because of. Yes, correct. Yes, it can never, you can argue a bill indefinitely. Um, okay. And you can, if you have enough of a majority, you can just go straight to a vote without debate. Okay. But uh, we haven't had a, a filibuster proof uh, Senate in quite some time. And we currently don't either. I mean, not by a long shot. Um, so basically what happens is nothing, unless it's very bipartisan supported, can ever make it through. And there was, wasn't there some talk recently about attempting to get rid of the filibuster? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Basically, when you're not in power, when your party is not in power, um, you heavily push to get rid of, or when your party is in power, you heavily push to get rid of the filibuster because it basically makes our government ineffective. I mean, you nothing ever really happens and this is primarily why um but that's you know uh, you know uh government shouldn't move at too fast of a pace but it also should move right you know and that's uh potentially the uh you know the pendulum has swung a little too far in the ineffective realm but really what has happened is they've kind of bridged that gap with executive orders um they executive orders have now really taken a place of legislation it seems in our modern government right so basically what it boils down to is uh if you uh actually care about the things you're voting um about uh you probably should pay a little bit of attention to how our political system actually works yeah yeah and i i think you know this is maybe a little bit off topic but you know i think not just because the filibuster is is helping us right now but i i think the the filibuster i think i'm pro filibuster regardless of who has the power because it gives the the little guy a voice it gives the little guy the opportunity to oppose something i i think the the way to avoid the filibuster is just present legislation that both sides can get behind and then you don't need the filibuster Right, yeah, it's a strange thing called compromise. Yeah, which uh, our politicians don't seem to understand the definition of that right now. Yeah, 
you know, it's either this or that. Like, you you can't be in the middle. You can't be a moderate. You are either all the way over here or all the way over there. And basically, if you're not, then get out of here. Right. Yeah. So, anything else we need to touch on on this? These are both, like we said, both uh, through the House, going into the Senate. By the time you guys, I don't know, Jeff, do you know typically how long this stuff takes? How long is it going to be in the Senate for? Uh, like by the time people I, hear this, will it still be in the Senate or I would it, I think, yeah, all that time frame depends on uh, uh, basically what order they want to vote on things. So, OK, OK, it's kind of uh, yeah, I don't I don't know, but I I think they can also just basically choose to not even, you know, start hearing arguments on this like basically indefinitely okay. or they could decide on Monday they want to hear arguments. Yeah. You know, so I guess what, what I'll sort of close with is, you know, whether this is still a thing when you guys hear this uh, or not, uh, as, as frustrating, as confusing, as painful as it can be sometimes to engage in, politics and policy legislation you have to you at least have to pay some sort of attention to what's going on on a state and local level and what's going on on the national level because this stuff affects you and you know paying attention to how people vote on things can help you when it comes time for you to elect your representatives, if they voted the way you felt like you would have voted, then that's a good thing. If they voted the other way, then you should be taking that into effect or into account when it comes time to sit at the ballot box. And as, as, as much as I, a lot of times it's like, I, I don't, I don't want to deal with this. You know, it's this craziness. I, my plea would be that, that you will, that you will take this stuff into consideration and at least pay some attention to this kind of thing, at least to the things that are important to you. Cause there's a lot of legislation that goes on that it's like, I don't know, that doesn't impact me. I don't, you know, you can just get burned out with, paying attention to every little thing but the big ones like this really dig into what it's saying what it's going to do think about the impact of it if it's going to do what the politicians are saying it's going to do you know sort of right. think for yourself don't just believe what you're hearing on the news right and i the other thing i kind of want to throw in there is uh, it doesn't really matter where you fall on the political spectrum you know, red, blue, whatever. Um, you you don't need to follow all of your party lines. Like it's okay to uh, be be a pro gun uh, Democrat. Like that's okay, and yeah. you should let your representatives know that that you are pro gun. Um, because really, it's kind of the the squeaky wheel gets the grease kind of thing. Like 
the Democratic Party is the most boisterous people in that party are very anti-gun. But that doesn't mean that your representative is all that anti-gun. They just think that that's what you want. So yeah. let them know that that is not what you want. You know? Yeah. And it's okay to cross the aisle basically too. Like if, if you have a local representative who is traditionally on the other side of the aisle from you, you know, like you, you always vote Republican as for the presidential election, but there's a local Democrat that is doing what you want, you know, is doing what represents you best vote for that Democrat. Yeah. You know, and vice versa. Yeah. You know, and I, it, it's not a partisan thing. Like, right. uh, and most people are one issue voters anyways, you know, they, they have one issue that they really care about. Um, but make yourself heard to your representatives about other issues, you know, secondary issues that you care about. Yeah. And I'll say too, you know, when, when I said, you know, look into these things, don't just like, you know, find a two a supporter and, and believe what he's spouting on YouTube or on a, you know, a website or, or something like that. Because in looking into these two things, HR eight and HR 1446, I would read an article, you know, I was trying to gather data, read an article and, you know, they're, you know, whether intentionally or not, there was articles that I read that left out some of the exemptions or or were flat out, you know, saying that it's not going to allow this. But when I go in and, and read the actual text of H.R. 8, there's text in there that says no. I mean, because I read one, for example, that that the farm and ranch exemption, you know, saying that like a a, a ranch owner wouldn't be allowed to give a, a ranch hand a rifle to go protect his cattle heard while during calving season or something he would have to go do a background check and i thought oh yeah that's kind of a pain but then when i went in and read the actual text of the bill there is an exemption for that you know and like we talked before to what end you know yeah but make sure you're you're doing a little bit of homework on these things and not just believing what what one person is sort of spouting off whether they're you know quote unquote on your side or not right because that's another thing that i found that was very misleading was when i looked up you know regular media articles on these uh two two bills um the articles uh especially with hr8 made it really sound like you could just purchase a gun like all purchases online do not require a background check. <laughs> yeah. You know, like that's the way they made it sound. And I, I assume it was just simply out of their own ignorance. They did yeah. not understand. But yeah, it made it sound like all purchases online. You know, it's just like, uh, I don't know, buying everything else online. You, you can just buy a gun online and have it shipped to your door and you don't even need a background check. 
Yeah. And it's like, that is completely inaccurate. You know, what they're talking about is like online trading portals where people are meeting up online and then physically going to the same location yeah. to make a, you know, make a transfer. Yeah. So you, you got to do your own homework is basically yep. what I'm saying. Yep. All right. Well, we'll, uh, I guess, uh, I guess try to keep people up to date on these kinds of things. You know, it's a, it's a little bit hard for us in just our like recording and releasing schedule, you know, like we talked in here a little bit, some of this stuff may progress faster than we can get the information out to you on the podcast, but there's lots of good, you know, good resources and, and just stay in tune, I guess. And with that, I think we'll switch it off and talk to everybody next week. All right. So that's it for this week. Like we said in the episode, it's good to stay in touch, in tune with this kind of stuff and pay attention. Reach out to your your representatives, your senators. Let them know your opinions on this sort of thing and stay informed, stay engaged. I'll also ask, as always, continue to share the podcast. If this information was helpful or interesting to you, hopefully we earned a like, a share, something like that. That helps the podcast more than you guys know. You guys sharing it and uh, just talking about it on social media, that really helps us out. So I appreciate that. Hopefully you all are having a good spring and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening.